0: Hello and welcome to Building Sustainability podcast. I'm your host Geoffrey Hart aka Geoffrey the Natural Builder. Building sustainability consists of conversations with designers, builders, makers, dreamers and doers exploring the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Building Sustainability. This is a second conversation with Jana Lan Lomas, the founding director and designer at Grain Architecture. This is actually the beginning and the end of the other conversation in episode 37. I have stitched the two pieces together with only a slightly clunky edit. In this episode, we're talking about Jana's background, her training at CAT, and the architect's response to the climate emergency. Episode 37, the other episode which is sort of the filling from this conversation sandwich, focuses more on design and materials and cost, kind of the nuts and bolts of sustainable design from an architect's point of view. I'd say that these episodes stand alone, so it doesn't matter if you're listening to this one first or second. So before this episode, I just wanted to celebrate a few things from the year. I think it's really important that we remember the good bits and not just how difficult 2020 has been. Um, and these are just some of my personal successes. I've finally opened and amusing my Triados bank account. Triados are an ethical bank that say they are committed to the future. Um, so, unlike many of the high street banks, they are not investing my money in the fossil fuel industry. In fact, quite the opposite. So, it feels great to have finally made that switch. And next on my list, is to go through any of the pensions I've created uh, at any of my previous employments and make sure that they are also in good ethical pension funds. Um, So what else has been good in 2020? I got rid of my car. My little car was going to cost more than it was worth to keep it on the road. So I looked at my car usage and I found that actually I only use it for occasional trips that could be made by bike. And generally the car was being used when I was feeling a bit lazy or the weather was a bit rubbish. My ride to work has been a joy this year. I've been cycling every day to work, so I thought, why not ramp it up and increase that enjoyment? So now the car's gone, it's been gone a couple of months, and I'm loving it. I've got myself a little bike trailer so that I can take my laundry to the laundrette, um, and now I'm cycling everywhere. And not only am I fitter, but I'm actually walking my talk about carbon emissions. And you know what? Since getting rid of the car... I've had multiple friends offer the use of their cars if I needed to move something. So turns out that they're all feeling guilty for owning a car as well. Maybe you can have a chat with your friends and see if you can get rid of a few cars. Just share one. It's creating community and reducing carbon emissions. Brilliant. What else? This year also has seen me get really further into foraging. And foraging for me has really opened up My appreciation of the natural world, it means that when I'm out walking, I am looking at a different level, and it's great. It means I'm eating loads of nice stuff, and I've got loads of wine bubbling away. So that's been a pleasure to increase that in my world. Finally, for my personal stuff, I just wanted to say that this podcast, I think, has been a huge success. We've ramped up listenership from around about a 1,000 listens per month, to now... More like four thousand five hundred a month. Pushing five thousand. So thank you all for that. Um other things to celebrate. I think Robert McFarlane and Jackie Morris's continued work to create interest and excitement for kids in the natural world has been something we should definitely all know about and be involved in. Their books The Lost Words and now The Lost Spells feature poems or spells about words that have been removed from the children's dictionaries. Words that that are all related to nature and would be a travesty if they were lost from the children's vocabulary so those books are a joy and should be in every child's life so if you don't know about those check them out i'll put a link in the show notes also earlier this month uh, it was the premiere of bank job which is a film by daniel edelstein and hillary powell which looks at debt its causes and the effects And it focuses on their project, which was to print local money as art and then sell it to be able to buy up local people's debt and then write that off. Write it off. Kind of undersells it a little bit. They blow it up. Um, This is a thing that Rob Hopkins and I talked about in his episode on building sustainability. Uh, Again, there'll be a link in the show notes. (laughs) So that is a really short roundup of some things that we should be celebrating from this pretty trying year but i think it's good to remember that good is happening everywhere and we should be celebrating those positive things Um, i think it's especially important in these tough times so maybe take a minute and write down your top achievements and the things that you think should be celebrated in 2020 okay on to the episode with Jana. i should say there was a slight sound issue for the first 15 minutes um it does go away sorry it's annoying When did you get into sort of sustainability? When did it become like a focus of yours?
2: Um, well, it's kind of always been. I think that's probably the answer you always get with um, people involved in it. But yeah, it was something I've always been interested in since I was a kid. Um, grew up in the in the New Forest, um, which is a lovely place to live, and the garden kind of backed onto the woods, so we just kind of you know played in the woods all the time. And I was always kind of building houses in the woods. Um, very much in in uh in nature a lot around with mud and sticks and things from a very early age and wanting to um wanting to design a house from a very young age i've always been like obsessed with the idea of designing spaces and houses and things since i was about maybe six five six seven years old by the age of eight i knew i wanted to be an architect um and uh and 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 it always came with this sense of being off-grid and um self-sufficient which has been really important to me so that was kind of the first step but sustainability in the the sort of way I kind of now understand it meaning more to do with emissions and um carbon footprint and that sort of thing I think that became I I became aware of that later on whilst I was studying at university and and then went travelling for for a year, and then went to Cats and in Wales into alternative technology, and obviously that completely opened my eyes to um, the reality of the crisis that we're in, which is actually something I hadn't, I, I guess, hadn't really appreciated the severity of that until really being faced full on with with the facts and forecasts of what is likely to come.
0: Yeah, so yeah. I, then became pretty much the center of my life yeah uh-huh. <laughs> well I want to come back to cat, uh but I'm, I'm sort of interested to know mm. well I know that you've told me in the past that uh you've had a sort of ongoing iteration of your your own house build or <laughs> your, the, the design for your own house well
2: yeah like, I'm what... there six, so yeah it has changed <laughs> over the years but yeah the the definitely, to, to build that one day. So.
0: How how's it evolved over time?
2: Um, it's got smaller, thankfully. Oh, yeah,
0: that's interesting.
2: Um, yeah, I, I, I was quite ambitious for a while. Um, but no, I, I think it's, well, it's, it's it has got smaller, but it's also got bigger in other ways because I'm thinking more of a, of in a bigger picture of um, wanting to um create something more than more than just a house and um i think it is it's so much more than than that for me um which comes back to the sort of self-sufficiency um idea and that i think this is sort of probably a a topic i could run away with for the next hour um to um (laughs) talk about why it's it's so important for me to basically create um what I want to do next in in life I've always wanted to do but it's it's really kind of getting to the top priority now of wanting to um create kind of communities of off-grid housing um and uh that goes hand in hand with um with so many things um, because I think that you know this, it's just uh, endless the list of, of benefits from living in a in a more um nurturing community but also in a in an off-grid kind of way self-sufficient way at least
0: um, mm-hmm. is this you wanting to create communities uh for other people or is this you wanting to create your own
2: well obviously I want to live that way myself but I would ideally yeah I'd, I'd want to be creating this as a, as a model that people can can take on. And I know that's, you know, it's been done, there are lots of UK villagers out there, so it's not like I'm trying to reinvent the wheel, but I think that at the moment there's um, there's a real sense, well, there, I've always had this sense of insecurity of the future, um, and uh, I guess that's driven my need for creating my own, home my shelter and my growing my own food to kind of feel like i can survive no matter what happens um and i think that um creating that kind of bubble of security with with a group of other people um has become really really important in not just my own sense of um sort of well-being but actually it feels like it's the way to um it's going to be the way to survive in the future, and um, because we need to change the agricultural system in order to actually continue to be able to to produce food, because at the moment we're kind of just you know destroying um, soil and foods, and uh, um, the, the food system is totally um, not sustainable. So to to change that kind of goes hand in hand to me to um, living in a in a slightly different way and more in tune with the land and
0: with where your basic needs are coming from yeah yeah definitely it's that's so there's a few a few things in there that resonate with me i've i heard i've heard time and time again from people that uh yeah you know, being self-sufficient this idea of you know getting your own farm and and going off and living and being self-sufficient is a, a total myth because you can't you know you can't have the bees and grow the food and have the orchard and you know make the baskets and 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 it needs needs to be a community of of social beings aren't we we
2: we shouldn't be isolated just because we want to be self-sufficient doesn't mean we, we want to completely isolate ourselves
0: yeah definitely and that's that's something i'm really fighting with at the moment uh because i've you know very similar uh sort of dream and you know i sort of want to run off and and get the land with the so i can grow the food yeah but but equally you know now i'm in bristol which is a really it's a great community and it's like how do i you know i can't sacrifice one for the other and then miss out on you know there needs to be this middle ground of of sort of support and and fun and uh but also you know space and nature yeah so so it sounds like i'm just going to come and live on one of your uh (laughs) (laughs)
2: right <laughs> <laughs> i mean this is the thing so many people who i talk to about it say oh that sounds great sign me up you know i, I want to join in um and it's just something that makes so much sense and yet it's it's then you've got other people who just sort of kind of laugh at it thinking it's it's a ridiculous idea because it's we can't do that we can't go off and build um communities because of the planning system at the moment that's it's not allowed or if if there is planning permission on on a site it's ridiculously expensive Um, and so it's inaccessible or accessible to the wrong people and Mm -hmm. so there's this huge issue with land access and affordability and permissions and the whole system I think needs needs to change really so it's not a small task to go and try and make this happen but I think I think I'm sort of coming around to the idea that it's not just about building my own house it is much more about actually having a a bigger impact on the system to try and enable more people to be doing this because people already know they, they want to be doing this. It's not like I need to tell people, um, this is how you do this. You know, so many people, particularly in the natural building world want this, this sort of lifestyle, um, anyway. And, um, it's just that, yeah, the system needs to enable it.
0: So what do you, do you envisage, uh, like fighting the system or (laughs) because i think there's there's two options isn't there you either sort of fight the system and get change or you somehow like subvert the system like i know so many people who are you know oh i'm setting up my orchard so that i can eventually build a house there because then it's you know i'm working on the land or you know they're people that are trying to find workarounds and and little loopholes yeah to to get what they want i
2: mean that's the more kind of short-term and even then, it's not really short-term, but it's It's more a tangible kind of route that gets you there eventually because you, you can find a sort of a way in. But ultimately, that's not what we need. So I would like to theoretically take on the system. Um, but that's a, a huge undertaking, and I do appreciate that. So it's not going to be an easy or short journey. So it may be that, I, you know, in the meantime, I go and do something that is kind of um finding a, a way to do something that might be a compromise but it, it you know it's my own um kind of satisfaction of where I can live and, and work and connect and grow but at the same time I think my life mission is to um to try and take on the system because it, it just genuinely feels like it's a solution to a very scary future of insecurity of of the environment and and climate but also society and the conflict and 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 um, illnesses pandemics that will come with all these changes and i think if anything not to mention the c word but covid has actually um had a really positive impact on our um sense of connection to our local community because people have become much more localized and um hopefully there's going to be some positive change that comes out of this and i think prioritizing community um is in in connection to other people in the local area is going to be a a good step i hope
0: yeah (laughs) i really hope so then i also thought that there's no way all the cars could go back on the road after lockdown (laughs) (laughs) what a foolish thought that was (laughs)
2: yeah yeah. things will go back to normal frustratingly quickly i'm sure Mm. people people will have changed a little bit
0: yeah well there's a thing isn't there where um it seems like lots of people are now fleeing cities and they're you know the 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 sort of countryside house prices and land prices are, are skyrocketing because yeah everyone's yeah, evacuating. Yeah, so.
2: realising the value of green space and being in small communities and not in a massive city.
0: Yeah. Mm. Do you think um, something like the, so Wales is one planet development? I know, well, I've heard yeah. that uh, people, so I think new the New Forest, the, the council in the New Forest had had asked to find out more about the one planet development as an idea that they might take it on sort of locally. do you think that could be an option you know spreading that?
2: Yeah, I hadn't heard of the new Forest taking that on. I know a few counties have um, or are thinking of of adopting one planet policies on a local level and this is what I think is is exciting because there's an opportunity at the moment to change you know with the whole planning system changes that have come into play quite recently. I'm still kind of trying to get my head around fully. I think everybody's in that boat, but there's certainly an opportunity to influence through the um, local plan development. That's everybody has to has to rewrite the local plan to um, include all this zoning, and I think that that could be a really exciting time. And um, the One Planet Development would be fantastic to bring to the rest of the UK. Um, a lot of people who um, who want that kind of lifestyle you know, have to at the moment have to go to Wales in order to make it happen and even then it's hard the only um I, I can't remember the, the exact number of how many one plant developments have actually happened but I think it's you know under 50. Th-
0: yes yeah yeah. I think last a couple of years ago I, it was 30 so um yeah it's it's a small amount
2: um and it's yeah it would, it would be great if that was rolled out on a on a bigger level, I think it is a really interesting model as well because you, the idea being that you have to provide, I think, it's seventy-five percent of your basic daily needs from the land that um, you're living on, and as an individual that is really quite hard, um, and you have to achieve that within five years of oh. starting it. As a as a group, however, I think then it becomes much more achievable, and if you if you if you, I don't I don't know that there are many sort of community examples of it i know Lamas uh uh, community has a it's kind of looking at it like that but i'm not sure if they i think they still do it's kind of individual one planet developments within a community rather than the whole so yeah so uh, i think it'd be quite interesting because of course there's this um issue with one planet development i think there's there's an issue that people have with it where when you get old and you retire or you can't if something happens or you can't keep up that level of productivity from the land, what happens then, you know, um, do you have to leave? And it's still a little bit unknown because um, I don't think many people have actually kind of gone through that yet, but um, it's for me, like having, so I I did a lot of um, caring for my grandfather when he was um, in his old age he had dementia and um and I I was there a lot with him I I really appreciated that he was only a few minutes 10 minutes down the road and I certainly you know value that when my parents get old I want them to be close by and I want to be part of the same community as them and I think that how we should really be looking after our our parents and grandparents—we we, we should not just be putting them in care homes without um, them being part of a community. Um, obviously, some people need care, and, and that's a big issue that I'm not going to get really into. But I just think that you know we need those members in our communities. We don't just need the the middle section of um, society of people who are really productive and working up the land. You need the people who are having families and the old people and and everybody in between in order to create a rich, diverse society and, and a strong society as well. If there's yeah. one thing I learned from Kat, it was that strength is in diversity and to yeah. everything.
0: <laughs> um, so, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, so how, how does that diversity affect, uh, what, what does it do for a, say a community?
2: Um, in people, you mean in, in terms of, yeah, well, having obviously people from different ages is, is a great thing to, I think, bring different perspectives and um, and skills and and different kind of people at different stages in their lives will have something different to give and it's not always in um, labour, but it's there's a lot of value from mixing with people from different backgrounds, different ages, different cultures and genders and everything to be able to get a rich diversity and a better balance and a yeah i guess more resilience <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i was um i was thinking about well i was thinking about david attenborough the other day after i watched his netflix thing yeah. uh which you know was oh, that was uh slightly yeah yeah you know, it was hard work um but i was wondering you know thinking about how he you know he's an old chap he's nearly he's pushing 100 I think and yeah like his wisdom is so well received by everyone but yeah I don't think that that sort of idea of of sort of the older generation's sort of wisdom and knowledge Mm. is afforded to everyone I think he's sort of put on a pedestal and
2: absolutely yeah I I mean yeah I love David Attenborough (laughs) um but I think that yeah there is there are a lot of uh, yeah a lot of elderly people who have a lot Give still, and I think I find it fascinating that my grandfather and, and I didn't know all my grandparents, but I I was close to my grandfather and heard a lot of his stories, and just the you know it was a different world um, when they were young. That it was only two generations away, and yet you know the world has changed so much in that time, and there are things that that they did to survive back you know through the, the, these wars and massive massive changes. Um, that I think are lessons we're going to need again in the future and probably possibly in our lifetime, certainly in the next couple of generations, I think. So yeah, there's real value to just sort of listening to these stories. We'll be back after
1: a quick break.
0: Hey there. I'm Mick from the Mick and Pat show. That's right. And I'm Pat. Looking for a podcast that's like catching up with the old friends. Well, you're in luck. We're here to bring you weekly doses of lifestyle commentary, discuss culture and politics, and top it off with the occasional beer and film reviews. But it's not just about us. We're a community. Our listeners are our kin, and we let you all have a say in what we discuss. So saddle up and join the conversation at the Mick and Pat Show. You can check out our website or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. to just thinking about that, I haven't really considered that, actually, but... Uh, yeah, everyone was growing their own food in their back garden and, you know, we're, we're really resilient and, you know, multiple food sources. Uh, yeah, yeah. it's all, all seems pretty, pretty relevant, doesn't it? Yeah, certainly does now. Well, I'd like to talk about cat cause, uh, sure. Cause it's, uh, well, I, I mean, I haven't studied architecture. Um, but it seems to me that it's quite a unique, space and sort of in its offering as a postgraduate uh, architecture school is that the what is that the right description of it
2: yeah i think so but i i would sort of perhaps take architecture out and and label it the built environment or um yeah because it the the course that i did there which was the um part two of architecture um in terms of um architectural studies you have the three three different parts and um yeah i did my part two there which was a fantastic course but it was definitely not like most architecture courses i think at the time at least um in that it was it was sort of um looking at the whole built environment and the whole um, holistic view of how buildings and and humans fit into these systems and and everything is is, is connected in in various different ways, whether it's with water and or, or food, was, food was talked about a bit as well. But um, yeah, you have you have water, you have energy, you have waste, you have all these different systems that actually serve buildings, and buildings are obviously the focus of of architecture. But um, if you just look at them as these kind of pretentious sculptural things, um, architecture with a capital A, <laughs> as um, somebody. I think one of the tutors said there. Um, then it's it's a very different thing to um, actually appreciating the full picture of how it's used and and how it starts and and, and finishes as well as a as a sort of I don't know I wouldn't quite say object, but it's it's um, something that isn't permanent and that isn't standalone. You know, it's it's part of of a greater network. Mm-hmm. And it can really get that sense of connection, I guess, with everything else. And you learn so many different different things. Every month, we had a different um, uh, sort of focus, um, and we would have design work and things to do. But we'd also be going to lectures about um, a topic and and learning about, you know, whether it was um, waste systems or um, uh there was there was one on on land use which i found quite exciting um obviously that's that's a focus of mine but there was there were others on um yeah, air tightness and um renewable energy systems so learning about solar how how a solar panel actually works and 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 those sort of other aspects so yeah there were there was some really broad topics in there.
0: I, I mean, I imagine quite a few people listening to this might assume that, I mean, that's surely what all architects study and learn about.
2: Um, <laughs> I think it really depends on where you go. And I think a lot of courses are, I, I'm, well, perhaps optimistically saying, I think they're changing these days, but um, I, think in in all honesty, they're all kind of lacking in, in prioritising sustainability, that's for sure. Whereas cat, I think you you cannot say that about cat. It's got that at the core of everything that it does. So um it really takes it to another level. I think most courses obviously I've done the course at CAT, I haven't done courses elsewhere, so I I'm biased, but um my understanding is that most courses have a module on sustainability or it's it's looked at at a time but it's not it's not fundamentally underlying everything in in terms of um you know you you might be looking at um studying other architecture which obviously is valuable but um i guess it's it's all a, a priority balance isn't it on where we go and i think what i loved about the cat course was that it was very down to earth it wasn't it wasn't putting architecture up on a pedestal it was really kind of getting down to the the core function of it, I guess, and its role in society. Um mm-hmm. very basic level and building up from
0: there. And still designing beautiful things.
2: Absolutely.
0: I've seen some of your work. <laughs> it's,
2: well you've built some of my work.
0: <laughs> I, ha- I have built some of your work, yes. Um so I mean do you think there's anywhere else uh, that uh I don't think there's anywhere else that compares, but if you know if you're looking at architecture and sustainability I think, is it Sheffield? I think is quite, quite a, uh, sustainability focused course, but
2: yeah, was there anywhere
0: else you looked at?
2: No, <laughs> there wasn't. Um, I didn't really look around to be honest. I was actually away traveling at the time. Um, and I sort of, uh, uh, yeah, I, I uh, applied remotely and came back and to a letter that said two days later I had an interview there and and went and found out that day that I got in. So I was like, oh, okay, well then I'll just, that's, that's that then. It was a very quick thing. Um, really. So yeah, I didn't look around. However, I've heard, yeah, I've heard things about various places, Sheffield, Bath. I think there, there are definitely some other good schools out there. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I feel I can't really say because I haven't got the experience.
0: Yeah. Uh, it seems to me that yeah, there are other schools that have a, a sustainability focus, but they are they're sort of taking the norm and then adding that on or you know, yeah. developing that whereas cat from what I've seen you know seems to be like redesigning uh you know looking looking at it in a completely new way um, yeah. yeah, I think that's
2: fair to say it's always been ahead of the ahead of the curve in that sense.
0: Yeah, lots of people over the years have gone to CAP. (laughs) I was just going to ask you who, who are the like who are the the some of the people that that are sort of big in the the natural building world that have gone there.
2: Uh, uh, (laughs) Oh, that might be
0: a rubbish question.
2: (laughs) I, I mean, yeah, I I think I certainly think that a lot of people who. Go to CAT, have gone on to do really exciting things as, yeah, certainly a lot of people who have been to CAT, whether they've studied a, a full course there or like a full um a further education course or done a sort of short course because they do a lot of different things at CAT short courses and longer ones. Our, mine was uh, it was about a year and a half. Um, I think they've changed it slightly since I did it, but um. Yeah, there's there's a huge mix of people. I mean, it's talk about diversity. It's It's uh, got a huge range of people going there and going on to do a massive uh, range of things. Um, what's really nice and special about Cat, I think, is the um, connections that you make with the other people there. Um, and I guess when you go, because it's sort of in the middle of nowhere in a quarry in Wales, it's quite far away and you don't really... Make that effort unless you're quite an enthusiastic person, or you've got that energy and that kind of um, yeah, that that drive to go there. So the people who are there it's quite self-selecting, and that it builds this very um, energetic kind of uh, supportive community, and you end up making really great contacts. Um, I'm yeah, I certainly still talk to a lot of people who either I studied with or, or people who have been to CAF um, and even yeah. talk. I mean, some of the tutors were brilliant as contacts. And that's, I think when when I when, when I was there, I, I get, gathered all this information and all these sort of brilliant contacts. And I just, as soon as I left, I was like, I have to share this. I have to get this out there. Why isn't everyone else talking about it? And you're just so fired up after a year and a half of being in this sort of energetic environment that you come out and just want to give all this back out there to everybody, you know. And, um, so yeah, within a, within a week of finishing my part two course, I started uh, a company called building naturally, um, which was with, uh, another cat person called Sally Marika and we, she, she and I didn't actually study together. We didn't really know each other that well um, at the time, but we both thought, "Oh, well, we, you know, we've both been to Catlets, Just let's try and do this thing." And we both had, I think, had that energy of wanting to like spread the word and get everybody to be talking about things in a in a different way and using all this knowledge and connections and, and things that we've made at Cat to um, really kind of get out there and make a difference. Um, so we had this vision that we would, um, I would offer design work and and she would offer all these courses and we'd we'd give all this information out there. It turns out it's quite hard to uh, run a <laughs> straight up. Um, it wasn't an easy journey, but we did make loads of really good contacts. We put together a lot of information and um, we built some really good foundations, I'd say. Um, and it was a, probably a year or so later. We, we started doing some events. Um, so what I mean by that is like shows we went to Eco Build and Grand Designs Live um, and connected with other builders there. Um uh, I mean other builders out we were obviously not builders but we were sort of trying to connect and create more of more of a communication um sort of hub I suppose. Um mm-hmm. so yeah that was really exciting. Um, and It kind of split in different directions and, and a year later I took the architecture side off and, and um, focused on that um, and set up grain architecture. So that was five years ago now. Um, hopefully that I did that. But alongside that I've kind of kept this um, kind of foot in the door with, with trying to build um, I don't even know what it's called anymore but NB UK is, is what we're what we're doing but we're yeah what does that
0: stand for
2: natural building uk sorry um was, was started uh yeah probably four or five years ago um it kind of morphed into that what we were doing and um and that was yeah so that was me and um and you for a while. I, um, I was
0: involved, yeah.
2: <laughs> Alex Farrow from UK Hempcrete, um, Ben Coles from uh, Terra Perma. Um, we had a, a bit of input from Roland Keeble from Earth a- Building UK uh, in Ireland. Um, and Ireland, uh, and 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 Carwin from Car- Carwin Jones from Cat. Actually, he was doing a lot of the him. legend. Yeah, (laughs) and everybody had uh, a speciality, and there were lots of others as well. But we sort of had the the core group of basically just coming together for these shows, and it became a yearly thing for Future Build, Eco Build, which turned Future Build. So we would go and put on, um, or we still have up until this year, we've gone every year and put on a bit of a show with um, displays and samples, some of which are sort of stuffed in the back of my shed. my screen I've got sort of a bag of foam glass aggregate and uh and cork granules and bits of all sorts which um anyway yeah so it's, it's great because we can actually take all these materials um there and, and show a little bit about them to the public and the industry and um try and get some information out there and it's quite kind of basic level information but it's just you know giving um I guess giving people a window that they can suddenly become aware of the fact that there are alternatives out there. We don't have to do everything with cement and plastic. Yes, um, so That's become quite an important kind of mission, I suppose, of, of the last five, six years. I've been kind of fighting that corner quite hard, um, <laughs> trying to get people to realise they don't have to do everything with, with cement and plastic and, and steel.
0: How does that look in terms of climate and what we need to do to address that?
2: Um I think that it's I think probably what we need to do as um as architects or architectural designers or homeowners or um placemakers of any kind is um recognise the impact not only on, on the individual, which I think we've talked a fair amount about, but also the wider impact on environment in the global crisis and the scale that we need to respond to that on and having i think a lot of these small scale projects and um yeah things that happen um, on an individual scale people think they're not really having an impact because it's it's only their little house or their little extension it's actually you know (laughs) times by a lot of people that is a that is a huge impact and it does make a difference and it is worth it and you know it's worth just doing that little bit more research about what you can do um in your lifestyle people are quite happy to go and and recycle things but they'll still build a huge relatively to their recycling you know they're still going to build a huge extension out of um your house out of celotex and breeze box so i think just because you can't see it as a finished product doesn't mean it it doesn't matter. It does. And it's worth making the effort to, um, try and reduce the use of, of, I suppose, bad materials in the um, negatively impacting materials. Um, and there are lots of ways you can, you can have an impact, um, and do more. And just, I guess raising awareness of that is the first step. So yeah, I guess I want to, I want to push that.
0: I've, I get that's sort of brought up a question in that, uh, sort of harking back to something you said earlier about, uh, you know, the architects pushing the, uh, you know, the good materials. Mm. And how do you have an approach to when clients, if a client comes to you and they don't want good materials, do you, do you send them packing or, and, you know, and beyond that, like, what if they start with good intentions and then money runs out and how, you want to go to something.
2: Well, this is why I think uh it is really important early on to figure out what some what are your priorities are and what your principles are. And if you have an ethic or a set of principles, I don't think it's ethical to not follow them if just because you're you haven't got money, you just then change what you're doing to to fit within those ethics um, and. If, yeah, if, if a client comes to me and says, oh, I want to do this, um, this extension or something, um, but I'm not, you know, w- we might consider putting a solar panel on it, but I'm not really that eco, I want to kind of go just normal, um, whatever that means. I would typically try to argue, obviously, <laughs> try to talk to them about um, using better materials and the fact that we need to be, we need to be making those better decisions. But ultimately if they won't if they won't change um, the way that they want to build then I won't work on that project. That's not something I feel ethically I can do. I don't agree with it no there's there's not a bone in my body that can feel happy with being responsible for um, for telling a builder to pour concrete and build with plastic and it just is completely wrong to me when there are so many other better things it's it, yeah it, it just doesn't make sense so I will. And I have, um, walked away from projects, um, if they don't, if they don't make, uh, ethical kind of sense to me. And I actually write that into my contracts. Um, so when I have a contract with a client, it will, it will say, you know, if, if you, if you don't, um, continue to try, um, to follow the principles that we've set out in this, in this document, then, um then we have the right to walk away because um, that is something that I would do if it, if, if it becomes apparent that the client doesn't care at all, um, then yeah, we would definitely um, consider walking away. And I think if everybody did that, you know, people wouldn't be able to build with bad materials. And it's the very fact that architects are afraid, and I know this. You know, I went to the um, actually architects declare event, which was probably this time last year, roughly, Um, which was fantastic. But uh, there was this question: What is that? Sorry, architects declare is a um, a kind of acknowledgement that uh, we declare as a a climate emergency, and um, it's become a bit of a movement, um, much like uh, I think there there are quite a few. groups of people with like, um, I don't know if there's, a, I think there's a contractors declare or engineers declare or um, various different groups um, in, in lots of industries, but the, the architects declare group obviously are, are trying to um, raise awareness and um, promote better building, although it's debatable given who has actually signed up to it, um, whether the practices are really as green as all that, but anyway, they they did have a fantastic event, and and they had lots of different practices, uh, people from from practices there, um, and they asked the the hall, um, you know, if if you're presented with a yeah a client who doesn't want to to use sustainable materials or um, build in a sustainable way, um, do you take the work on or do you walk away? And we we kind of had to move that way for yes, that side of the hall and that way for no, you know, we, we would walk away or we would not walk away. And I think there were about maybe six people out of a couple of hundred who were there who said, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't accept that work. We would walk away from it. And everybody else said, yeah, we would continue to work with them. And and one of the one of the other people of those six was was asked, you know, why why have you said you would walk away? And he said, um, everybody over there is business as usual. And they are the people who are the problem because they're carrying on as if we're not in an emergency, and actually we have to react altogether as an industry and say no, we we can't do this anymore. This isn't sustainable. We have to walk away from those projects until the clients get the message and say okay, fine, we'll, we'll do it the right way.
0: I, how do you think, um, uh, like the architecture as a, as a, sort of, as an industry, as do you think there is a change happening? Like that could be, there might be eight next year and you know, 15 after that. Uh, that
2: guy said that and there were several more people that walked over to, to our side of the room, which was really nice actually. Um, I think, yeah, when you put it in a different way and you see other people doing it as well, you you feel like, okay, maybe I can actually join them and and move. And there are lots Mm -hmm. of these movements happening. Yeah, there are lots of um, groups of people. Um, Actually, uh, one of the things I wanted to mention was um, ACAN, which is Architects Climate Action Network. And that's another group that um, I've been doing fantastically. My um, husband, who's also an architect, has been doing a lot um, of work with ACAN over the last year um and uh it's great because you can really see the difference in the numbers of people who who are engaging with it and who are not accepting business as usual um but unfortunately a lot of those people are not like the directors of big companies that are making these big decisions and i think a lot of the big companies out there the big architecture practices who do huge um huge buildings whether they're numbers of buildings or whether they're sort of the profile of architecture and um kind of leading in some way they they're still not the ones making those um declarations and dis- and, and good decisions really to walk away from business as usual so yeah. a long way to go in the fight but but there are a lot of these groups out there of people forming um to to try and raise awareness and change policies and fight against legislation to improve um, what we what we have to do, which I think is a necessary thing, particularly when you're talking about the scale of um, large buildings or um, uh, large uh, projects, you need the regulations to be there in order to actually enforce better building to happen.
0: I was talking uh, to someone yesterday who was a, a solicitor or a lawyer uh, I'm not really sure of the difference between those two professions. Uh, excuse my ignorance. Um, but she was saying she's working on a project which is trying to, or it's putting clauses into contracts which force uh, circular economy in, you know, in building projects. Mm. Um, and so, you know, if there's all these, if everyone's sort of attacking it from different sides, um, then maybe there's yeah progress can happen. I think she was saying that uh, the 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 reason they they were doing that was because legislation is slow you know government uh, top down legislation is so slow yeah. to to be implemented it's and slow. sort of come in. so yeah they they didn't feel like there was the time
2: yeah um, so. I, I completely agree there isn't time <laughs> you know we've we've got to make such a difference and I mean we get on. To, perhaps a, a bigger topic of um, what the, what we have to do as, as a whole um, industry and society in order to adapt and try to counter climate change. I, I don't think we are going to stop it anymore. I don't have the um, blind optimism of thinking that we can turn this all around, but I do think that we can make a huge difference still and we, we still have to, if we want as a species to survive, we have to... Um, make as much of a difference as we possibly can but we also have to have a certain level of acceptance and adaptability to a very new set of uh, normals that we're going to be presented with um and this is why i think we really need to think differently about building um building for more localized strength and resilience and um and yeah responding responding as much as we can as quickly as we can um in preparation as well as um as well as trying as much as possible to regenerate the the um the areas that we've been destroying and um capture as much co2 as we can um well stop missing obviously as much co2 as we can start with so all these things have to be attacked at all different levels um and you need a lot of grassroots, but you also need a lot of top down, and you need everything from the sides as well. We need to attack this um, in every every way. There are certainly a lot of a lot of people fighting on different levels, and uh, that's what it takes, I suppose. But
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm interested by your um, your t- talking about that not saving the world, uh, you know, uh, attitude, because I've always people always uh, say to me you know like oh you do natural building is that earthships uh and i've always sort of held natural building as trying to save the world and earthships as trying to like hunker down and survive the changed world um so i yeah interesting to hear your
2: it's both i think really I think it's, uh, I mean, yes, obviously we need to be changing the world, the, the, changing our impact on the world as well, as much as possible. We need to be, um, reducing our energy demand as one of the main things in pollution is the you know, top priorities that we need to be changing our buildings and the built environment, the way we use the built environment, and we need to change agriculture and, um, the, the whole agricultural system. I think those are massive, um, Obviously, a lot of massive issues, but those are some really top issues, certainly for me. Um, so yeah, we've 100% got to fight and change the world. Um, I I sort of tell myself every day to go and change the world and um and to keep up the fight. But at the same time, I think you have to, as a designer, you have to be looking to what is likely to come and that's more flooding more storms more heat waves more you know more of everything that is going to make our lives harder um both in terms of our shelters our homes but also our agriculture our our transport everything will become harder so that's why i think in, in many ways relocalization is is really important because it um gives the security to um To more individuals and and communities that they can actually be more connected with the things they need to survive and be ready to, to kind of, yeah, adapt or, or respond to various emergencies which are likely to come up. I think it's ignorant to design purely optimistically and say that, you know, we can carry on designing the same types of buildings as we have done, um, and just not, you know, emit the carbon it's not just about carbon (laughs) we need to be improving the biodiversity because we need not just because animals are nice but because we need biodiversity it is our habitat and if we want to have an ecosystem that survives we need to nurture it and um and that means a whole load of things um yeah it, it means that we need to we need to change the way that we're building um and living really yeah adaptation
0: big changes then
2: yeah big <laughs> changes are very much needed <laughs>
0: <laughs> well um yeah i'm very much excited uh, to live in your uh, design for the future I, i'm fully on board
2: well yeah i i think it it will happen if it's <laughs> if it takes my whole life to uh, Make it so. I think I'll, I'll make it happen.
0: Excellent. Well, yeah. Well done, uh, and well done for being you, know, one of the the six people on on the right side of the room.
2: <laughs> there are others moving over. I'm sure all the time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we'll count this as uh, as sort of luring people across.
2: Yeah, it's Hopefully. yeah. I think we need to stand together because that's the thing. If you're the only person on that side of the room, it's a really hard thing to to do because on a day-to-day basis you you say well I can't say no to that work because I need the money I need the work and that's a very real situation obviously that a lot of people are in but at the same time if everybody stands on that side of the room the the industry changes Mm. and it becomes a really powerful thing and it just takes everybody working together
0: Here's, here's probably a big question. I'm conscious that we've talked for ages, but, uh, I'm, I'm having a really great time. So I just want to keep going. Um, and this is a question I've asked a few people recently is, do you think capitalism and sustainability can, can happen at the same time? And, you know, like the, so the big architecture, you know, the big partners in the, in the architecture firms who are, assume you know i would assume are making tons and tons of money and that why would they change their practices you know how Mm -hmm. how do you get those those to change when money's such a big big influencer yeah
2: okay so (laughs) this opens a whole other kind of world um i have a a real kind of (sighs) hatred for the fact that with all the progress that we as a society claim to have made, we are still working really hard in order to achieve money. And everything is sort of it, it, a success is always it's money driven. And um, obviously I have to mention um, the donor economics uh, model um, by Kate Roworth, um and I saw her speak actually at the Architects Declare event that I was mentioning earlier. She spoke at that and it was absolutely fantastic. She's such a good speaker. Um, And donor economics, um, for anybody who doesn't know, is basically saying, well, instead of the economic uh, model that we all follow of, of growth is better kind of thing, it's saying that, well, actually, we should be looking at it in terms of we should be striving to achieve our needs within our limitations and the outer ring of this donut is our limitations and the inner ring is is our needs and um the reason it's a ring and not a line is because there are obviously different segments that this applies to and she breaks up into lots of different areas and there's um there's a lot in there to do with um equality and um quality of life and and you know, not being in poverty effectively and there's a lot of the world which is still not meeting its needs um and there are some real issues out there but then there are huge um parts of the world obviously that are going way beyond the limitations of what we have in within our planet we have restrictions and we should be yeah we should be striving we should be saying progress is reaching that balance it's not just about making more money it's about living better lives and that means everybody and it means, um, yeah, a, a different, perhaps a different way of thinking of what success is and progress is. Um, I think, I think the future will force us into that probably in my slightly pessimistic view of where the world's going, but um, we actually have a choice that we can aim for um, in a more positive way and, and design for it as as designers. We can certainly try to, drive the world in that direction and, and paint best pictures I mean in terms of running a practice running a, a business I think it's really important um, And something <laughs> a whole other topic to um talk about is the sort of well-being of running a business and trying to achieve all these things whilst actually having a good work-life balance um which is actually very important um obviously it's very important but uh, it's easily forgotten sometimes, especially when you are focused on something bigger or something that seems really important. Um, so I think it's just success, measuring success, not just by like the finance of, of a company or um, the finance of your situation, but in, in the life that you're able to live. <music>
0: I think we could have chatted for probably another hour quite easily. Yeah, very much an enjoyable time. Um, so that's it from me. As always, remember to subscribe. If you get a chance, review and share these episodes. Uh, and if you've got some spare cash, then support on the Patreon page that is patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. All the best. Bye.
1: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with quins.